This is what I do. I'm an undercover narcotics agent. I sit with murderers and made men, and I lie. I lie my ass off. Promise me this is the last one. Hello and welcome once again to Hollywood RX. Your doctors are in. Tonight, we are setting our sights on The Infiltrator, much-anticipated thriller with Brian Cranston. Yes, uh, much-anticipated by us, I think. I don't know. Well, by you. You've been talking about the standees and the theater lobbies just <laughs> rendering yes. you weak with spaghetti legs yes. every time. Beckoning to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, it was uh, definitely anticipated by me. I am Doctor uh, D. Hello, Doctor G. Hello, Doctor D. Um, I've been looking forward to talking to you about this and so many other things. This is uh, officially our fourth booster shot, uh, but it is uh, yeah, kind okay. of a hybrid. I think we were talking about it. So we're that's right. See if this is a good way to do it. Uh, we will talk uh, intensely, possibly relatively briefly, about the infiltrator. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Since last time you threw it to me, I'm going to throw it to you, sucker. No problem, sucker. All right. Um, in, in, a, in a nutshell, I thought this thing was great. I, I, I really, really loved it. I mean, you know, a good undercover cop story. Never seems it's, it, it never seems to get old as a genre or a plot line, and even when they're not quite so satisfying, like Blow, that Johnny Depp movie. Oh shit, was that an undercover cop movie? I'm not <laughs> sure, but well, anyway, there's a long tradition of the of this type of story, and this one made good on it in a lot of ways. For me, I felt like it uh, it handled a lot of the key moments. Uniquely well written, well directed, very well acted. Yeah, I thumbs up, man. I really like this movie. Uh, that is uh, very exciting to hear. Um, no, Blow is about the guy who established the cocaine market in 1970s. Unless you didn't want me to say that, in which case we'll cut this out too. Ah, uh, sure, whatever. We'll, okay. we'll see. We'll see how much how much uh, real estate the infiltrator takes up. That's true. On, <laughs> Maybe we'll need these few precious on tonight's seconds. episode. Yes. Okay. So my quick take is that it's not quite as shining as yours. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said about the undercover <clears throat> genre or that sort of that kind of story, particularly the telling of a true one, has some can be can be absolutely fantastic fantastic and electrifying and keep you on the edge of your seat here i felt like some of the material some of possibly the writing even the directing was at a <clears throat> i want to say a b or b minus level um mm. possibly generously but that the cast in a large part elevated it to b plus a minus territory because this cast is just fantastic I, yeah, there were there were a couple of moments that may not have been as solidly handled as the rest, but overall, those are like my nitty my my, my nitpicky complaints more than right. they were like some serious flaw about it. But yeah, I felt well, I thought of a lot of things while I was watching it, but one of them was um, uh, the Departed, the Scorsese film, absolutely, uh, because although that is a work of fiction, I felt that. It's on a, that this movie's 
almost on a par with that in terms of conveying the personal drama that's inherent in the undercover the undercover story. Yes, I also thought of The Departed while watching it, and there were some other films I thought of, too, that we can get into a little bit later. But I just want to start off by saying all hail Brian Cranston. That guy is fantastic. Holy cow. I I imagine he's sort of in Breaking Bad mode again in terms of the character he's playing, just from the clips I've seen of Breaking Bad. Well, I will say the following. I mean, I'm a... Breaking Bad is possibly my favorite television show of all time, so I'm a little bit biased there. Whoa, you mean, well, Rockford Files dethroned? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment of history. (laughs) No one realizes it, but this is a moment of history. Uh, Yes, I think that Bryan Cranston can act circles around uh, good old James Garner, whom I have a soft spot for, but could not defend with any straight face for reals. Both uh, the things that I like James Garner in are almost indefensible, in and of themselves. But uh, that's so funny. I hadn't thought that I hadn't recalled how aware you were of my affinity for uh, for uh, Rocky Rock the Rock and, oh. <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. You, um, remember, you remember that too. <laughs> so, so with regards to uh, Breaking Bad, I would say the similarity is largely in that in Breaking Bad he is playing sort of two different versions of the same man. It's it's an interesting uh, twist on this idea of undercover because he's not doing it... Uh, he's doing it for reals. He's not pretending in that show. So you have the Walter White version of him who's the teacher and the husband and the provider and this sort of normal guy. And then you have this sort of Jekyll and Hyde part of him where he becomes this... You watch him slowly evolve into this just unstoppable, uh, evil kind of force um, capable of anything that the other guy sort of isn't, and then the two start to blend or mesh together a little bit, and it's hard to tell them apart sometimes. Um, so that that movie takes this idea of the dichotomy of I'm one person here and I'm another person there and takes it to like an operatic level um, hmm. over the course of, uh, 60 sublime episodes. But, and I was worried that coming to see this was, I was both worried and almost looking forward to it being kind of an echo of the other thing, but I don't really end up feeling like it was. It was a little, it was, he was doing a little something different, although there were scenes where he had to act, you know, when he's out to dinner with his wife on an anniversary, I guess, and somebody he knows from his other world comes over. He has to he has to play the uh, <laughs> the the other Bob. Um, right. con- conveniently, they were both named Bob, so he didn't have to learn more than one name to play this part. He could just answer to Bob the whole time. Hey, the um, closer the lie is to the truth, the you know easier what? it is to remember. Wow, good call, good good recall. So they did have stuff like that, but but. Um, I didn't find that his non... Like, when he was in his undercover character, I didn't find... Or I didn't find his regular self a particularly distinct person other than just average guy, average nice guy, as opposed to a specific average nice guy. In other words, something that it sounds like Breaking Bad delineated much more forcefully. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I mean... And just from the writing point on that show, 
they start with this guy who's, you know, just a regular guy but has to sort of do this branch off. And in the beginning, they're almost very close to one another. But as the show proceeds, they the two sides split, and then they sort of come together again at the end with the, the darker side being more dominant than, hmm. than the brighter Well, don't side. spoil... Did you just spoil it for me? No, no, no. You did. No, you no, did. No. It is not the, the destination. It is the journey. It, it is okay. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Right. So I'll shut up. So, um, but Brian Cranston here, I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, I'm glad are, you mentioned that scene actually, because that, to me, that scene could have easily been overdone and exaggerated for effect for some kind of uh, visceral arousal in the audience, and it it didn't do that, and it still was forceful and difficult to watch. I really did. I like that scene. That was uh, absolutely that. That was among a handful of scenes that I really uh, liked a lot. I liked the scene with where uh, John Leguizamo is having trouble with his um, his informant. They're having a little bit of a fight in the car, like they're uh, yeah. a married couple, and the informant wants more money. He's like, "Fuck you! You're lucky you're getting anything." Whatever right. it was, and then they go inside, and that sort of argument kind of starts to unravel. Start in carries the room. over. Yeah, it's funny because. Funny isn't the right word, but it goes to that thing that you just said about uh, overdone versus played just right. And ultimately, obviously, anyone who's listening to this already knows the um, <clears throat> already knows the show. So eventually, the the informant is killed. That Legozamo turns the tables on him as he's saying, "He's a cop. He's a cop." Legozamo right. turn, turns the tables on him, and he is shot point blank range by the batter guy in the room. And that guy's face is just caked in gore, particularly yeah. over one eye. Uh, to yep. the point to me where it was like that was that was actually too much for me, that level of gore. Not like I was squeamish, but just like it felt like almost heavy handed. Uh, but then after a beat, you cut to Leguizamo and his face just has this fine mist, uh, yeah. speckled of blood. And he just plays this quiet moment dealing with the fact that he just escaped his own life with his own life and that he sacrificed the life of another person to do that. Yeah. Um, with his face covered in blood, and I just thought that was that moment was one of the highlights of the film for me. Just that quiet moment with him, and it's yeah. it's rare in movies now where an actor or a director or anybody can make the space for something like that to happen, particularly in a in a thriller or you know there's yeah. always there's always so much um, loudness and fastness and. <laughs> And all of that going on, that it's it's to take the moment to just take a take a beat to just let that moment land. It you know it, it would have been easy to see that scene cut, that that, that for running time's sake they oh, would yeah. have just drop that scene because it didn't have any consequence on the larger plot. But yeah, no. And another nice touch about that scene was that I liked that Luizamo obviously didn't see him stuff the money in his pants. Right. But he just know, like, either he knows specifically or he just knows like, you know, right. that's the kind of guy like I'm going to call some bullshit out on him. Right. And if right. that doesn't work, I'll go to plan B. Well, they but, did uh, do a tiny little detail, a blink if you miss it type detail that as Leguizamo is carrying the bag into the house, he, mm-hmm. he hefts it once or twice. I think he actually just might even just be a shot on the bag. And the idea I think being he senses that it's light. Ah, uh, okay. But, you know, so it's not necessarily like 
that he knows it's light or he knows the guy took something. So you're right, right. there's still a gambit for him in going, something's missing and he could have taken it, so let's just throw that out there, even if this just prolongs it or confuses the moment a little bit longer so I can find another way out. And so, by the way, yeah. when did John Leguizamo stop aging? <laughs> well, he... Uh... Because when his character first came on and spoke, I thought, wow, you know, it's like a younger John Leguizamo. Right, And like right. halfway through the movie, I'm like, fuck me, it is John Leguizamo. Uh, he has looked the same forever, essentially. I'm starting to see a little bit of it, but um, I just watched him in a full episode of a show which is is a terrific in HBO. No, it's not even. It's Netflix. It's a stream original Netflix original streaming type uh show called Bloodline which I've mentioned before. Um he's in the second season. <clears throat> There's no spoiler in my talking about that. I won't go into any more detail than that about it. But it's always good to see him and he he does a really good John Leguizamo uh job in in that in a, in an already uh, show that is crackling. He adds a little more crackle to it, and um, I highly recommend uh, Bloodline. Kyle Chandler is in it, uh, and others. Oh, Ben Mendelsohn, my beloved Ben Mendelsohn. Um, and uh, who's the who is the woman? This is so terrible of me. She's so much bigger than this and better than this. But all I can I can never remember her name. She played Thelma in the Scooby Doo live action movies. Do you know who I'm? Linda oh, Cardellini. Linda Cardellini. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, she's in that uh, show as well, um, and they're all they're all great. Go find that if you haven't looked at it already. But um, so I've been watching a lot of him lately, so I wasn't kind of as shocked if I hadn't seen him in this show. I had the reaction when I saw him on on, on the show that you had mm-hmm. in the movie theater, which is, oh, there he is. He looks exactly the same. You know, right. we got someone for the John Louis Gamazo story. <laughs> Right, exactly. He can play himself at any age. Do you have something of his that you go, that's, that's, that's Johnny Legs? Well, it's really funny that you, that you say that because I, I was sort of reflecting on my Luguizamo relationship. Yes. After the movie last night. And, uh, yeah, he sticks out for me. He did this virtually unknown but charming little movie. Yeah. Called Pyromaniacs, a love story. I know the title. I haven't seen the movie. With William Baldwin and Sadie Frost. Wow. And he was half the charm of that movie. He was it was a romantic comedy, a quirky romantic comedy role. It's not what you would associate him with. Right. And he wasn't just like doing his shtick. That same year, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Love Julie Newmar came out. And that's what I think uh, you know most people will remember him for. Right, that's closer to his shtick in a way. Um, in '92, he had uh, Puerto Rican Mambo. Oh, he was in uh, Romeo and Juliet. That um, was it. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, Claire yeah. Danes. Oh, sure. Yeah, he was he was awesome in that. But what I wanted to sort of point to was um, his stage work, which has been filmed and translated, and I'm not sure if it shows on his IMDb or not, but his sort of original claim to fame was that he did these one-man shows. And uh, and he, they're fantastic, and he's fantastic in them, and you really get a, a good look at what his upbringing was like, or a theatricalized version of what his upbringing was like, and, and his ability to do characters that are, um, or caricatures almost in a way, that are both um, 
larger than life, but also very recognizable and in many cases touching is... Those were HBO, weren't they, or Showtime? I, I think, think I've, seen, did, I've seen a couple of them. I, I know what you're talking did, about. I, they did air there, and I bought a bunch of them for my um, wife, who's a huge fan of his. But they were they were a little hard to find just as, oh, I want to buy a copy of this. It doesn't feel all HBO. It feels like some of it may just be just him. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of what they're called now. Well, uh, Ghetto no. Clown. Ghetto Clown is one of them. Ghetto Clown. Now I feel uh, vindicated that I could remember that. So all all hail him as well. I mean, he's he's uh, super cool. Um, as far as the infiltrator goes, let me let me see a few things about it here. That I talked about the shot with the <clears throat> the blood on his face, and I just loved it as a shot. But also, I think I've covered it as a moment. There was another uh, there was another shot where I think. He's in, uh, Cranston is in Paris or something, and he's on a phone outside, and you're looking down like with a street lamp. You see the flame yeah, in the Yeah, I water. remember that shot. And I just yeah. like the shot in general. And, it, and just as an overall thing, I really like the cinematography. I like the way it was shot, because it definitely yeah. felt like a, like a 70s movie or almost even TV movie in some ways, where they would push in a little bit in the middle of a shot. Some of it felt handheld, but not this radical... Uh, cameraman on on going through uh, withdrawal the way it is now, you know the sort of uh, where you need to take motion sickness pills to watch a, a thing. <laughs> and in general, I love the 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 set design, the scenic work, the costumes. I mean, I really felt the time of it, the time and the place of it was was very spot on. Spot yeah. on. I mean, they had they had uh, they had pagers. They had payphones, you know, just sort of all that stuff that you don't. I mean, you can't even see a payphone yeah. anymore. At least, and big and big clunky payphones too. Yeah, absolutely. Like... I loved, uh, I, <laughs> I loved that uh, part of it as well. Um, Amy, you know, there were yeah. a couple of things that 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 I raised an eyebrow. Okay, so, all right. So there's this scene early on where Cranston is in the closet taping. Yes. Leguizamo and, and a couple and of contacts in, in the next yeah. room, and then he can't leave because the guy's awake. And okay, so he wasn't carrying. I don't even think he had that recording suitcase at that point. So I was a little confused why he would be leaving with the recording equipment and tapes in the closet. I don't. Am know. I? What am I? Well, it sounds like that setup was completely... We've seen either fictionally or the recreation of true stories where that part of the investigation was done with so much more grace and thought. <laughs> just leaving, you know, what did they have, a very short extension cord and they couldn't just set up in the room next door? Or for whatever reason, they couldn't be in the adjacent, you know, hotel room or apartment or whatever it was. Because even, even, if, that, even if that other guy hadn't come back... What the original plan was? He was just going to leave that stuff in an empty hotel room. I yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I feel as though that the fact that this was adapted from a book, I can feel it more in that they've had to leave stuff out for time. Hmm. I was thinking I would love to see a, a director's cut. 
right. of this, where it's a little padded out. and Well, I would say the whole thing could stand to be another half hour, at least 20 minutes longer, just to fill in some of those blanks, because you're suddenly in a new place. And I'll give it 10 or 15 minutes, weeks. yeah. Okay, but it could stand to be longer to fill in some of that um, stuff where we were doing the work that you're just doing now. Because I didn't know. Here's the thing. Knowing that he's in the closet which I didn't until he stepped out of the closet. I didn't really understand where he was in relation to... I thought he was in the closet of his house, originally. (laughs) And that may well be. Uh, (laughs) So so what I'm saying is, setting up for us the fact that he could be found out at any second would have added a tremendous amount of tension to that scene. Whether or not in the real world they were in any chance of actually finding him and when it really happened... Right. So it would be false in the sense that it wouldn't be truthful. But it, it, the truth is he was in a closet. Now let's put in something that can entertain me. There could the very scene. well be some edits that were made right. to that scene because it's so early in the movie. You know, you could almost hear execs saying, yeah. come on, let's, let's get, get to, to the story. To yeah. Uh, agreed. But I think in something like this, you really... Look, they were sort of taking their time anyway. It wouldn't hurt to... Add a few beats here and there. But um, so, uh, yes, I agree with you that there were things like that. That wasn't one of them for me. I didn't like the. I'm sorry to say this. I, I have a feeling you're going to be mad at me. I'm going to get in trouble. I didn't uh-huh. like I didn't like the the wedding raid. I actually hated the raid in, at the wedding. Well, you I, know, here's the thing about that. Yes. Okay? There's really no need for them to go as far as. <laughs> as far in the ceremony as they did yes. to it dramatically yes it's that's a it's a moment yeah right. sure um well, yes i mean you know of all the of all the officials all the priests out there they got the one to say yeah. why don't you turn around and look at everybody who's right, here right i mean, exactly but, you know that oh my god but here's okay yes, but come but on, come on. The problem I had with that scene, I think, is going to be the same problem you have with that scene. Okay. Because it's, it's a problem I have with this scene every single time it comes up in the history of cinema. I don't understand why police would announce a raid by playing the sirens as they're pulling up. I agree with you. I've never understood. I understand if they're trying to get through Crosstown traffic to be there... But all those cops and everybody had to be 10 feet they away. They were in place. They, they were, were in place, place already. Yeah. And unless yeah, it made some, no sense. Unless there's some value, real world value, in the amount of sort of confusion and like disorientation it gives to criminals to suddenly hear a siren. I mean, certainly in a wedding, in an outdoor wedding in a tent, to suddenly have cars pulling into the tent and making a whole bunch of noise, it could do that. But you also have people there who aren't bad guys. Well, that's true, because it's not like they're there for a meeting and then the meeting gets raided. It's a social event. So, yes, you're right. In this particular case, it it actually does make sense because it would be disorienting and throw everybody off. That is true. But hold on. Hang on just a second, though. Look, they're in charge. Why weren't there more undercover cops in with the guests? They're in charge of this way. Half the guests should have gotten up and and, and and flipped badges and and pulled out guns at that point. And that there's no chance that anyone's going to pull a gun and fire it around women and children who are absolutely innocent. I mean, if... So you think. If this was actually the way it happened, and I have to give them that credit that they did it exactly the way it happened because it was so badly done, that Mm -hmm. if that's how how it did, then they were... Then the way the original 
architects of that raid worked it was ridiculous. You don't have to wait till they say, does anybody here have an objection? I've never seen anyone have the couple turn around to face their accusers. The only reason to do that, both it's cinematically a, yeah. and in the story itself, is so that the cops can be looking at the crowd, but it doesn't really matter. It's not like they both whipped out guns. No, 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 no. it was like, oh, that's the signal. Hit right. it, but hit the, it, Charlie. But the signal should be <laughs> the signal should be dearly beloved. We are gathered here because that says everything they need to know that everyone is here because that's yeah. all they were really waiting for. Yep, um, yep. that's true. They don't even yep. need to begin a ceremony. So uh, yes, I. In fact, I, I, in fact, that priest should have been a cop. Oh, absolutely! Everybody that would have been the best. That would have been the best. That would have been the, that would have been the, everything else right. better. As Every... if suddenly he pulled out a gun and then a badge. <laughs> right. Uh, everybody in the room should have been a cop, with the exception of the fact that maybe his aunt needed to be there to sell the idea that that's what this was, because she had already been established to Benjamin Bratt and company as being his a fictional aunt, and so her being her not being there would have been suspicious. But I don't think it means they would have walked in and gone, "Wait a minute, where's Aunt Hulihu?" Or Hawaii, and uh, um, <laughs> this must now, be uh, this must be fake. I have to say, I I did kind of object to her being used to, to her being introduced to Benjamin Bratt in the way she, that she was. Yes, that, that 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 he would he would bring in someone, especially someone close to him. Yes, I, into a situation like that. Uh, it almost makes me. Look, if this had been a, fi- a work of fiction, I would have been screaming about these things because True. you're like, why are you doing this? But it's not a work of fiction, so it almost makes me want to read the book just to understand how it would come to pass in the real world that you would expose a beloved and how much how much artistic license did yeah. they take? That's really what you want to know. Well, but well, I, we all want to know. No, no, I don't even I don't even think they did take artistic license. I'm sure that they did it. I just want to know why because. Even if she's a tough old broad, I, I don't know. I mean, if they if they built that, if they put her in there and they didn't, she either didn't exist or she just was at a dis at an arm's length through the whole thing, then it's criminal that they included her at all on a fictional level. But at least, well, but yeah, but again, using the same name came in handy because he definitely didn't have to worry about her slipping and calling him by his real name. Yes, uh, and in some ways, I mean. Olympia Dukakis has done a lot of uh, terrific stuff over the years. I'm not sure this can be... None of which is going to relate to this movie at all, so just go past that page. No, I'm not even looking at it. Okay, okay. I I think she is a uh, a treasure, a national treasure, and I I was happy to see... Of whose nation? (laughs) Which nation are you talking about? America or Greece? I'm talking about Greece. I'm saying both. She's got one foot in each, uh, each country. Cultural ambassador. Yes. So I'm not judging her as an actress here at all. I think she did exactly what she was supposed to do, which would be sweet and charming and tough. And yeah, that's, and a tough cookie. Yeah, and a, and a tough cookie, exactly. And she was, you know what? She was believable when she was saying, like, yeah, I own those two buildings over there. One's a piece of shit. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, it's a female Trump. <laughs> now, now that's fighting words. I think now you finally have somebody who's going to come after you. I've got Crow and... The list of actors who are going to come gunning for me, but um, well, who, who's who's going to be at my door? Olympia Dukakis? Yeah, she's going to come after you for likening her to Trump. I I, I likened her character to Trump. Oh, her performance well, to Trump. There you go. Okay. Fair so enough. you know what? She knocks on my door. I'm saying, come right in. Let's have a drink. 
talk uh-huh. to me. Take uh, a load off, you look tired. I'm sure there's a, uh, a, a Greek alcoholic beverage that I should know the name of that you could offer her. Uzo. Uzo, there you go. Uh, I want to say very clearly that I think Amy Ryan was wasted once again. Yeah. Um, once again. And did, we haven't mentioned her yet, but we should. Diane Kruger was very good. I haven't been crazy about her previously, like in Inglorious Bastards, but I liked her here. Uh, oh, right. She was in Glorious Bastards. Um, and she was the, she was the female, uh, agent. Spy. Yeah, yeah agent. agent. Right. Absolutely. I thought she was terrific. I was almost more interested in her at times than I was in some other people. I thought she had a really nice scene where she returned something to the wife. Oh, she brought a, she picked up no, a No, no, she picks up the tux. The tuxedo. Right. Yeah. Because the CIA wouldn't spring for a tux rental for him. He'd have to use... A 17-year-old tux. Um, but whatever, however they came to encounter one another. That was a very nice scene. Yeah. Um, and I really liked the actress who played his wife, uh, Aubrey. Her, Juliet Aubrey. Juliet yes, Aubrey. I liked her, too. She just seemed like a real person, you know, not somebody they plugged in to fill a hole. She reminded me a little bit, in some ways, of... Uh, I'm blanking out of her name. She's the actress who plays Al Pacino's wife in Heat. Oh my God! I would not even. I have to admit that I have not watched Heat yet. I don't think I. I that is a hole in my education. Whoa! I, that must be seen, my okay. friend. Okay, I think I recorded it at one point, but then there was something wrong with the the file. Rec- or I recorded don't know what. it. <laughs> the disdain! The disdain! Listen, I'm not going to take this from you. <laughs> with all of the things you haven't seen. No, I but, uh, shouldn't go uh, But, you know, Al Pacino, as long as we mention yeah. him, of course, the granddaddy of the undercover movies, Serpico. Yes, I was thinking of that, too. Uh, although it's Which not, I think... Yeah. Sorry. It's, no, not fresh, it's not fresh enough in my mind. Oh, mine either. Although, but I think the... I think already in Serpico, there was a scene of, like, batteries shorting in the oh, wire he's wearing or something like that. That's interesting, yeah. Well, that might have been a common problem in that era. Or Probably through the yeah. early early parts of the well, good the technology that the, they've been using in the seventies for right. that. Yeah, the hairier, Diesel. maybe the hairier the cop, and the sweatier because I think they both probably have a lot of chest hair. Maybe that's uh, that's the kindling. The hair was on the br- chest. Is Cranston a hairy guy? Oh, I didn't he, really I notice. I believe he has a hairy chest. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 you played poker with him once. Why don't you tell us that oh, story? Oh, I had forgotten that. Completely. All right. Um, mm-hmm. I was at a celebrity poker tournament because somebody had purchased a ticket for me. Not that I didn't think that the um, that the cause was imp- was a valid, lovely cause. I won't go into any specifics, but <clears throat> I was playing with a lot of people who were well-known faces. Uh, many from the poker world. Um, Antonio Esfendiari comes to mind, um, who I'm sure you don't know, but they call him the magician. Um, so they had they had like real world guys you would see on playing poker on TV all the time where it would host the event and would wander around with a microphone and call things out and try to get you to spend a little extra money. So I was at I was uh, put at the table with uh, Brian Cranston. He was the only celebrity at my table. There was about eight or nine tables in this uh, particular tournament. How long ago was this? Where was this? Oh. Was this Malcolm in the Middle Years? Or? No, no, no. This was dead. This was two weeks after Breaking Bad ended. Three weeks after Breaking Bad ended. Oh wow! Okay. Um, he was already doing. He was in L.A. back from New York, where he was already either working on or starting to do the performances for the 
play that eventually became the movie on HBO, <clears throat> the uh, po- the politician. It's now sca- escaping me. It's all drawing a blank for you. We'll get back to that. Shamefully, I don't remember. Anyway, so we're sitting at the table. I have to play very tight because I am I'm not going to be buying back in at these prices over and over again. I need to just make this original thing work for me. And so I do a lot of folding and I do a lot of studying everybody around me. Well, it's open bar. And so I know the two guys next to me who are having a good time with each other are getting drunker and drunker. So I go, okay, th- th- that's, that's something you can rely on them to be you know, loud and make bad choices later on and so on and so forth. But Pranston, in full Walter White mode, was like quiet. He was friendly, but he was like dead serious. And he just kept amassing chips. It was insane how much he was doing. And he just, he was, uh, they call it being the captain of the table. And he just was taking everybody's money. Now, I was staying out of it with him because, I again, I can't afford, you know, I'm not, just, I'm not one of these guys who's going to, uh, you know, sandbag you by checking and then raising when it comes back to me or anything like that. So, anyway, um, eventually you go through the several rounds you play the first hour. And he just had a, a, just a, a comically large stack of chips. Because keep in mind, he's busting guys out at the table, but during the first hour, they're spending thousands of dollars to buy back in. And so that just brings more chips to the table, and more chips are sitting in front of him until he has everybody out chipped. It's crazy, like 10 to 1. So Over what period of time is this? Like two hours? No, just an hour. During the first hour um, <sighs> is when you can buy back in, generally in these um, <clears throat> rebite-style tournaments. So he... Um, <laughs> So anyway, I'm like, I cannot mess with him. I have no idea how he can be dealt with. But I start to maybe pick at the guys next to me, and I, I start to get the sense of who I'm playing with, how, what their styles are, how I can take advantage of it. I start to make a little headway, but not much. And then we go we, on a break, and we come back, and a guy, a new guy has joined the table. There was a hole at our table. A, a seat needed to be filled. And he was to Brian's left, which matters if you play. And we didn't know him. So I'm like, okay, this guy's a blank slate, and he's got a ton of chips. Not as many as Brian Cranston, but a ton. And um, more than anybody else at the table. And it goes around like first or second hand. Before this guy's had a chance to do anything, he starts, you know, throwing his chips around because he's going to show what a big shot he is. And Brian Cranston's having none of that because he's the captain of the table, so he has to push back, right? And so when he races, he comes in over the top, over top of the guy. I go, in my head, I'm like, what are you doing, Brian? You don't know who this guy is. He could be anybody. You know, you don't know what he's made of. And sure enough, the guy raises back, and eventually they're they're all in. But it was like, uh, Brian had him out chipped. But it was a crazy amount to put in with somebody that you didn't know who he was, and he didn't know you were the captain. The value of being captain is everybody at the table is scared of you. But this guy wasn't scared of him. So guess... Well, wait, 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 what do you mean you don't know who the captain of the table is? When the captain of the table will obviously be the person with the most chips in front of him? Uh, in theory, but this guy was the captain of the table he just came from, probably. And so this uh, okay. is a dick swinging contest, but they're putting gotcha, gotcha, everything. Gotcha. He's you know they're putting in everything they have to prove that they're the big man. Only Brian didn't really have a great hand, and this guy <laughs> did. And so they bring out the last couple of cards, and Brian is taken out at the knees. I mean, he's not gone, <sighs> but he is. He had lost, you know, two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of his stack. Now we've got this asshole who's got, we don't know who he is, how he plays. He's got all the money in the world. And I just saw the light go out in Cranston's eyes. Just, <sighs> I could say, oh, my God. I said, he's done. I can take him. And so I just waited a couple of hands, and I got something decent, and the big guy had folded to my right. And, and and Cranston was on my left to uh, to act still, 
And I, I did it. He came up, and I went back, and we went all in, and I busted out Walter White. I busted him out. Oh, oh my God. Kick that a was... man when he's down. <laughs> man. Uh, he was very graceful about it, and I was so excited. I didn't think I would ever play a, a game of poker that meant as much to me. I went on to the final table. I didn't end up uh, winning. I never do, but I had a really fantastic time that night, and, and largely due to Cranston. Oh, at the break, um, he was being very friendly and genial with people, and I had been sort of introduced to him earlier. And I went back over and I said, "Listen, I, I don't. You feel free to say no, but my wife would would kill me if I came home and said I had spoken with you. We're at, you know huge fans of the show and of your work all these years." And uh, and I said, "Would you give her a call?" He said, "Yeah, sure." So we call the house, we call her cell, and ring, 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 ring. It goes to. Um, it goes to voicemail, and he leaves a message in character. I've got your husband here. He just went on as you know, as the the, the, the terrifying drug lord, and it's too bad you didn't answer the phone. Whatever, so whatever it was, he does, and then he hangs up. And I came home later on the next morning. I was like, "Did you get the message? Did you get the message?" And she says, "Oh yeah, when you called me like a joke." She said, "I deleted that." She didn't even <gasps> listen to the whole thing. She deleted it because she thought it was me being a dick. That's the best part of the story. Yeah, it absolutely. Oh is. my god! This story just keeps on giving. So, oh, uh, man. thank you for asking. I never would have mentioned that otherwise. But and I haven't told no, this no, story no in a very long time. You're listening to Shark Talk here <laughs> on KHRX. Uh, yes, I could talk about uh, poker for a lot longer than anybody uh, cares to hear about it. I hope I I put in enough um, enough good stuff. But anyway, I just felt like the the raid at the end was. The whole thing just confused me both as how it was staged, how it was shot, and, you know, shot, reaction shot of them looking at the... The necessity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much of it that didn't quite... Well, no, it's funny, though, because, um, you know, we were introduced to his character in that fake, you know, in, in that bust where he's fake arrested. Yes. And, you know, and so at the end, I'm thinking, you know, probably a lot of times these guys, you know, they go through the motions of being arrested themselves. right. right. And how difficult it must be for those two people to be standing, like, to not be involved with the arrest in terms of, like, drawing guns or anything, or actually physically arresting somebody, nor having the the, the, the grace of a fake arrest. Yeah, right. But, you know, it's like right at the moment you're seeing, yeah, I'm the guy who fucked you. Yeah, standing like, there naked uh, and owning it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is, uh, that is uh, definitely intense and again i think it to me that recommends the book to see what is what's the interior life not only of that character yeah um but also just the sort of the behind the scenes i love john leguizamo and brian cranston together i thought they were you know spot on yeah great um great teaming absolutely great cast all around even all the like like banker guys the Escobar sub Yeah, yeah, right, like, exactly. Everyone whole... was just, like, that old drunken guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, they were all, everyone was just very distinct, very well cast. Everyone played it to the point of having signature characterizations, but without overdoing it. Absolutely, and they all felt like they had been possibly even plucked from, from somewhere. Yeah, you know, that From worked. a street corner or whatever, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but still delivering performances that were believable. I didn't mean by that that they weren't good actors. They they were so good that they seemed like they just were from there. And and the actor who played the the the, the older drunk, the, again that scene at the anniversary dinner. Yes. yes. 
he he was very good in that scene as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I he had I, I think he had almost zero lines, but he was giving looks and and doing reaction stuff, and, and it was all yeah. just really right on. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't make him a comical drunk that he wasn't there to be comic relief, but that he was the Walter Brennan of this movie. <laughs> but uh, yes, I did want to reference. I was saying other other movies. Yes, <clears throat> that I was thinking of while watching this. I do feel like this movie. May for me it may not have risen to the challenge of the fact that there have been other undercover stories told even from the same time period, mm-hmm. and in much the same way that you have you have a you know just dozens if not hundreds of World War II stories, and they're going to step on each other's toes thematically, and there's going to be overlap in yeah. plot points. Um, and, and, and it's I, a given. And sometimes I felt like this wasn't rising. And I just wanted to say that there was a movie from several years ago now that I thought did it real right, really right, which was Donnie Brasco. Yeah, Donnie Brasco was very good. So here's Johnny Johnny Depp being uh, brought up again, and Al Pacino. So in that movie, you've got the the younger guy and the and the older guy. Although I think in in Infiltrator, he and Benjamin Bratt, who we haven't even talked about yet, that they were closer in age to one another. But just that idea of the somebody who'd reached the height of or nearly the height of power in the uh, in the criminal underworld, taking under his wing this other guy and and bonding with him, and so there were certainly common themes there. I could well and, imagine that there are more bonding, opening up scenes between the two of them in some longer cut of the movie. Yes, I could very I, I well imagine, imagine so. that. You mean uh, between Cranston and and, Benjamin and Bratt. Bratt? Yeah, yeah. Benjamin Bratt was charming. He was beautiful. He was... I mean, I wanted to be in that room. I was like, oh, can I be friends yeah. with this, this murderer? <laughs> no, I won't fuck you over. Yeah. And so much more interesting than... And this is almost always the case. Than having a, a villain who's, you know, grinding his teeth and twirling his mustache. And being such a caricature of, of evilness. Which also happens in the real or world. Evil. But, I think the noun just might Okay, be thank you. He was so... Charm, you could easily see becoming friendly with him, and and how that how it would be hard to to separate yourself from the guy. And I could have even used more uh, scenes there, but on the other hand, not if they're just going to make stuff up out of whole cloth. I understand the obligation that they have not to just create scenes because they would be good scenes, even if they weren't truthful. Yeah, and actually, Diane Kruger had a great moment in the scene where she's saying how oh, she feels sorry for the wife. Being in that situation where suddenly the husband's wanted... I mean, she right. was great in that scene. And that's that's actually a scene... I don't, I don't know if that's covered a lot in the in this genre. But no, she did because, that really, really well. Because really, really well. You don't often get the female uh, protagonist or partner. No. Well, you don't often get a female undercover. Right, right. <clears throat> the last one I can think of, actually... Yeah. Is and I'm probably there's probably something really obvious in between I'm forgetting about, but this movie with uh, with Tom Berenger and Deborah Winger called Betrayal <laughs> yeah. or Betrayed. Costa Garfras directed it, but and she plays an FBI agent who goes undercover to get a uh, the leader of a white supremacist group played by Derringer. Oh yeah, uh, Berenger, and he's fantastic in it. Actually, but that's that was a movie that that made the the woman undercover as the lead, not right, just on the side. Right, right, and and sets it off there. Uh, sets uh, makes it unusual in that regard. As far as uh, Benjamin 
uh, Brad is concerned. I mean, I've, I've liked him in a great many things, but he can be seen uh, frequently on, on the TV show Modern Family. You don't usually think of him being uh-huh. in, in comedy, where he plays the ex-husband of Sofia Vergara. So you have this very beautiful uh, Colombian woman, and he's the handsome guy who comes in. So then you have the, uh, what's the name of the actor who played Al Bundy? I'm blanking. Uh, Ed O'Neill. Yeah, Ed O'Neill is looking at this younger, dashing, handsome guy as sort of competition to him, feels threatened by him. But he does, mm. a, he does a terrific job on that show, another place to see him uh, more recently. But he's one of these guys who's just been around forever and doing really solid work. I mean, I think, doesn't he go back to L.A. Law? Am I wrong? I'd be so upset if I uh, I think you're thinking him. of Jimmy Smith's. Oh, God, you're right. Oh. I am horrified. My apologies both to uh, Jimmy Smith's and to Benjamin Bratt. Notice I give no apologies to uh, the aforementioned uh, Russell Crowe. In or any our case, listeners. <laughs> or our listeners. <laughs> I apologize to them, too. You bastard. Um, <laughs> I can't. You get me at every turn. Okay, my last thing on this on this movie that I have in mind is just that I was bothered a little bit by the fact that I could live with the idea that he was in the car when the assassin came and took out the guy while the guy was in mid-sentence. There's that uh, spectacular car crash that yeah. he, he staggers away from. But I had trouble then when he was dancing with another guy who was also assassinated right in front of him. And I felt like that was a, one assassination too many for him to be uh, adjacent to. But, again, based on a true story. And should be giving me the indication of just how dangerous everything is. That around yes. men are dropping like flies. But the sort of the screenwriter in me went, really? Two? Yeah, I, 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 that, that's valid. Did you come away with a clear uh, understanding of why that character was shot at that moment? Um, they made a really passing reference to the fact that he was... This embarrassing Escobar who oh, was no, in the club or something? That, oh, that no. There was, there was a thought that he was going to start uh, talking. That he was going to be uh, singing. But, wait, did who was... Wait, no, 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 no. Wait, which His, one? I'm sorry, the, the guy he was dancing with? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the first guy. Um, no, 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 the guy he was dancing with. The guy he was dancing with. So, not singing, he was dancing. And no, you know what? I, I'm not actually clear on that now. I mean, I thought he always seemed like a guy who was completely unreliable, not just embarrassing, because he certainly was embarrassing, but that he would say or do anything at the wrong moment, even when they're trying to build this new relationship with this <clears throat> fabulous uh, Bob, this new Bob they know. That guy's in danger of messing it up. Uh, well, I think I think in that scene they made some, or in the scene afterwards they made some passing reference to uh, him having like embarrassing someone. I, but it, you know the thing is with that character is that I feel like if he's that much of a loose cannon, well then why is he so high up in the chain? Yes. So agreed. I wanted to see, I wanted a scene where he demonstrates how. Vicious or fucked up, he can be like something, you know. What kind enforcing, of enforcing? What kind what, of yeah? yeah. Why, why is he? Why is he at the level he's at? It's not because he's groping at people's dicks, right? What kind of a resource is he? What does he bring to the table? That exactly. Adds, that adds. Why value? are they putting up with his shenanigans? <laughs> uh, indeed. Why indeed? Um, there. One are, other question. Yes. Yeah. No. Go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I had another actor I wanted to talk about real briefly. There are several more, but but we're. <laughs> 
We went over our 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, real quickly, I just want to say, what did you think of the guy that was his buddy who we first see possibly <clears throat> trying to get bail? And it's denied. He's, he's there. We're in a courtroom. The guy's in an orange thing. He almost looked at Ted, uh, Charles Manson with the crazy beard yeah. and hair. And, and Cranston kind of springs him to become his, uh, to play the role of his bodyguard. Yeah. Um, what did you think of that actor? He reminded me of somebody, of another actor, and I'm drawing a blank on who. Okay. But he was fine. His performance was fine. I felt like I wanted his character to have a little more presence in the exchanges going on between Cranston and the other guys so as to validate needing this guy out of prison. Yes. I mean, he had he had tats. I get that he's like a tough character, but I didn't... Like, and a cop couldn't have played that? I don't, right, right. It, it seemed a little Yeah, Cranston says, you know, the guy's like, what do you want me to do? He says, I just want you to be yourself. But anyone could have played that part. I mean, he... Yeah, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't enough of himself <laughs> yeah. on display. On display, uh, which to me sort of... Because what he says, I, I assume when Cranston says that, he's referring to the, the guy's first line, which is like, yeah, I ran in there, I ran in there naked and I bit the guy's dick off or something like that. Where it was just a guy who's completely out of control and wild, yet he seemed very restrained and whatever. But here's my real point. Actor's yeah. name is Joseph Gilgun, G-I-L-G-U-N. We love him in this household. He's on a relatively new show called Preacher uh, from uh, Seth uh, Rogen and his producing partner. It's a graphic novel that uh, has some sort of <clears throat> supernatural elements to it. Um, this character, this actor, Joseph, uh, plays a, uh, a vampire, but not like your everyday vampire that you've seen before. Really interesting character. He's hilarious in it. Um, he's Irish, does the full-on accent in, in the TV show. And I highly recommend that as a show. It's a lot of fun, and, and he's terrific in it. I was very excited to see him in this cast. I went, oh, my God, that's him! <clears throat> so that was cool. I had a few other actors that... You know, like uh, Jason Isaacs, who I like, but I don't know why he was there, just as one of the cop-type guys. And Jonathan Katz was in there, too, who's been around for a million years. And it's one of those faces that I I see. And uh, I know who like Jonathan that. Katz is, and I didn't recognize him. Who was he in this? Well, um, I Wedding saw... Wedding guest number three? <laughs> I saw him in wedding guest number three. Yes, that's what he was. He was one of the attorneys. He was an attorney. Also, Michael Pere was in this. Do you remember Michael Pere? I remember the name, but I don't know why. From uh, the Philadelphia Experiment and Streets of Fire. Oh, my God. I saw his name in the cast, did not recognize him. Oh, yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I didn't even see his name in the cast. He's in there. Wow, okay. And it was just sort of, he was wedding guest number three, maybe. Um, anyway. Cop number three. Cop number three. Uh, well, good point. So I'm done with all of that, except uh, trailers. I, do you have any? Well, do- I do have a, I do have a question oh, for please you. Please ask away. Um, were you clear on the whole, like, the logistics of all that money laundering stuff? Because that goes over my head. Every time they started talking about it, I was like the drug lord's wife. I was like, oh, again, they talk business. <laughs> Um, not, only, that. not only didn't I understand it there, I never understand it anytime, anywhere no. I ever see it. No. I, I get the idea that you have money that you've acquired in a dirty fashion, 
that you put it into a business or a bank in some way, and when it comes out the other side, it is not trackable as dirty money. But I don't, I, it's a magic trick I don't understand. And I'm sure we will be mocked roundly by, you know, it's perfectly That's fine. to other people. You know what? You know what, listeners? If you can, if you can, if you can break it down for us in a few simple sentences, please do. Yes. We'll read the best responses on the air. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. Anyway, I don't know if you saw any trailers that you felt like were worth mentioning. I walked in just as the bowling scene started. It's funny you should say that because you remember my mentioning off the air to you that I had an unusual experience watching this film. I sure do remember that. And my experience was. That I walked in during the first scene with the ant. I was five minutes late. I was ten minutes late. Oh, my God. That's and funny. So I sat through the whole movie, had all of my reactions to everything. And then I went out front and I said, listen, you know me. I was in and blah, 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 because I had talked to the guy behind the counter. <laughs> and I said, uh, they're also... I'm here all the time. They're the ticket takers as well as the concession people. And uh, I mean the ticket sellers. And I said, I missed the first couple of minutes. Can I stay through and watch? So then I got to see the trailers, and I got to see that opening scene, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. And I went, I now feel better about this movie than I did before. I, and this, That's funny. What was it after having seen the rest of the movie? What was it in that opening scene that I just loved was the, electric for you? The Cranston-y goodness. His byplay with that with that waitress and the twenty dollars and the coke and the back and forth, all of that stuff right there, I was in heaven with it. I love so who fucking he was. natural. He's yeah. so fucking natural. And it's so relaxed and easy. And then it sort of um, it it really helped put into perspective the other work he was doing in the film. I mean, I feel like that guy in that bowling alley was a better version of that guy than his the guy he eventually became. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I don't know if I agree with you, but I understand okay. what you mean. I don't know. I just, lo- I just love that opening scene, regardless of anything else. So I, it was sort of like you when they end a movie that you didn't really like necessarily, but they end it with a song you love. Then you go, hey, <laughs> you walk out feeling right. better. So that was kind of like that. But I did have a chance to see a couple of uh, trailers. One was for Loving, uh, which is important to this show in that it's a um, uh, Nichols, uh, who directed uh, Midnight Special. Oh, Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols, thank you. Um, it's his next movie. Oh, um, great. Can't <laughs> wait for that. Well, that's how I always thought about it. I was like rolling my eyes at it. But two things started to change me um, in particular. The trailer itself started to look more interesting. And it's about an interracial couple, in the, I think, in the 50s, in, late, in the late 50s. A, a, a real couple who had to undergo, as you can imagine, a ton of hardships to be married and live together against everyone around them saying this is unnatural and illegal and whatever. It doesn't Sounds look like, like a, far from heaven to me. Like I've set you on fire with it. But then the other thing that, that got me, and this is not anything that would mean anything to anybody else but me and my wife, but the actress playing the African-American woman is also another cast member of Preacher, who we adore on Preacher. And who we uh, we just love her as an actress and the character she's playing, and that and and can't pronounce her name. No, I'm sorry. I'm guessing. My fault. Okay, no, okay, sorry. Okay. No, I was I, afraid it was going to be like you know. I want to be careful because her name is spelled N E. Her last name is spelled N E G G A. So I want everyone to understand when I'm talking about this African American actress who I like very much. Her name is Ruth Nega. That is Nega. 
N-E-G-G-A. Um, so <laughs> I may end up seeing Loving, despite the fact that I was sort of against it to begin with because uh, Ruth Negga is in it. Um, along with, you know, uh, Joel You're Edgerton. just worried about talking about it afterwards, <laughs> I think. Yeah, seriously. Joel Edgerton's in it, Michael Shannon, some of the, the you know, the people you know and love from from uh, Jeffrey Nichols' other work. Uh, and, and I saw Nick Crawl. Do you know Nick Crawl? He's a, he's a sort of a stand-up comedian who had a, had, has a TV show, half-hour show on, like, Comedy Central. And he's very abrasive and so on and so forth and edgy here he's just playing a straight part and i just find it interesting when stand-ups are cast in straight parts something called anthropoid that's the word i was going to look up before we started yeah i've heard about this this is a uh, based on an extraordinary true story of operation anthropoid the w world war ii mission to assassinate ss general reinhard heydrich Oh, that's right. This is with uh, Chilean Murphy, right? Uh, yeah, uh, Murphy is in it. Uh, Jamie Dornan, and then a bunch of other people I didn't recognize who were all speaking in heavily accented voices. Yeah, you know, I saw the commercial for this, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, one of those Valkyrie type movies. And then the and then the title came up, and I was like, that was not the title to go out with. <laughs> right? No. Even if that no, was the name that of was the a, operation. Even if, right, even, yeah. no matter how historically accurate it is, I was like, that's a bad yes. choice. Yes, it, it threw me off. But uh, I predict a quick death. Yes. Uh, I, so- I predict that movie's going to make Valkyrie look like a hit. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, absolutely so. But Mr. Murphy has something uh, running on Netflix now called Peaky Blinders. It's a TV series where he plays a criminal in like the, I don't know what, the 16, 1700s, 1800s. Um, like like a, a mob type TV show, Peaky Blinders. Those Brits. Man. It's a very strange title, but he's really, really good in it. Very charming. And then the only other thing I just want to touch on for one brief second is Florence Foster Jenkins, which is this Meryl Streep, Hugh Grant. Uh, I'm going to call it monstrosity that is barreling, bearing down on us. Well, it's the uh, it's it's the um, what the hell was the name of the Julia Child thing? That she did. It's like, oh, it's, it's like that now, yeah, but with, with this uh, other Florence woman. Foster Jenkins. Maybe, maybe yeah, so. It's really odd that, that there's a movie coming out about her. Because it seems to me like it would be very easy to do little biopics like this of all these goofy, classical comedians from the 50s and 60s, like Anna Russell and um, P.D. Kubak. Right, right, right. I can't imagine this is going to usher in a wave of them, but... Uh, I think there are actually two about her coming out. and this is About the big, Florence Foster Jenkins? I think so, and this is the big one. So be on the lookout for the smaller one. But the reason I bring it up is that Simon Helberg is in it, playing her, the guy they bring in to be her pianist. Uh, Simon Helberg is uh, most popularly recognizable or known from The Big Bang Theory, the TV series with uh, Johnny Galecki and others. Yeah. And he plays a great nerd on that, very iconic and, and terrific on that show. But he also was in, uh, not too long ago, that uh, Mary Poppins. Oh, that uh, making something Mr. Someone? Yes, I wish I could remember what it was. Playing a similar part, uh, where he played uh, one of the Sherman brothers. Um, so he must have played a piano in that, too. So I love seeing him there because I like him as a TV actor. I love seeing him... You know, standing next to these big movie stars, and I'm like, wow, that's great. This guy must be in hog heaven. And at the same time, I go, isn't that a little unimaginative of the casting people to go, 
We need a Jewish fella to play the piano. Wait, we just saw a Jewish fella play the piano in this other movie. Let's use him. Um, I just feel like it's kind of unimaginative, almost uh, typecasting of him, but better than that he's just playing a nerd over and over. So anyway, uh, I, I just like seeing his face on the posters. I hate the tagline, everybody's voice deserves to be heard. And that is a terrible... That's, that's how you get America's Got Talent or whatever those, those shows where people get up who can't sing and sing. Right. Because not everybody's voice should be heard. Some of them... No, definitely not. Yeah, and also to me it's like, I don't just take it as literally as a singer. We mean in the larger sense... And it starts to it starts to feel like they're saying we're we're about so much more than singing, you know. Everyone's voice should be heard. It's democratic and whatever. I'm going to stop doing that character. Um, you can all thank me later. Anyway, uh, that was it for trash uh, Taylor trailer talk. trailer trash talk. Thank you. You can say it better than I can. Trailer. You'll get used to it. Now we yeah we now are so yes. I think uh, I think we're going to have to save those tidbits for the next time. Yeah, you're killing me. All right, then we can't. Actually... Oh, we're not going to do it. Come on, we're going to do another hour and a half no, show. Come no, on, we're not. We're not. We're not. But we, we can't. can't. We can't put this out as a booster shot. No, we can't, and no. that's fine. <laughs> that's guess, totally fine. I guess so. I want to. They'll still love up. us. All right. <clears throat> Don't worry. We'll we'll, we'll booster. Sh- we'll, we'll 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 boost soon enough. Yes, sir. Fear fear not, listeners. Oh. <laughs> I thought they were gone already. Um, no, well, we'll have to. Um, so. Anything else? So, anything else on the infiltrator before we I let am listeners go? Bone dry on the infiltrator. I'm delighted we talked about it. I I was surprised that you uh, liked it as much as you did. I think we were just off of one another, but um, I, I held back some of my uh, vitriol out of respect for your position because I was. Oh, you shouldn't have. No, no. But because I didn't want to feel like it, you to feel like it was an attack on you in some way. Okay. Um, well, you know, for the record, I'm never going to hold back on you. Okay. So. Fair enough. All right. Then I will, uh, I'll, I'll save this for uh, another no, time. No, I, 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 I liked it tremendously. I, I wouldn't say this is like excellent, fantastic, one of the best movies I've ever seen, but it was, uh, but it was excellent. I know I'll be seeing, I'll know I'll be watching it again for sure. Oh, and, oh, wow. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's, um, that's all. That's good. And uh, and before you watch it again, watch, mm. watch an episode of Breaking Bad. It'll take the same amount of time. Touche. Touche. <laughs> um, no, I'd be, I'd be very interested to hear your reaction to that show, even if it's not, you know, all of the episodes. Ladies Who and knows? Gentlemen, maybe we'll even do a show about it. Oh, my gosh. That'd be awesome. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of this endless episode. And none too soon, the doctors are out. <laughs>